Amen. Well, this week we're continuing a new series we uh, introduced last week. Uh, we've called it the Mountain Relocation Project. And if you have your Bibles, we want to go back and we want to look at some of the main texts that we're going to be, uh, we want to keep before us. Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. <clears throat> Jesus' teaching said, for assuredly I say to you, well, let's back up to verse 22. Verse 22 says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Amen. How many of you all know it's important what your faith is in? Um, the world has faith. You understand when we're talking in the Bible, any place you read in the Bible, because you know, some people might say, Well, now, Pastor, I read a verse one time that says not all men have faith. In the Bible, when the Bible says the word faith, it's talking in the context of faith toward God. But you understand, last week we uh, just gave you the definition. We defined faith is a firm persuasion or a conviction. Well, how many of you know there's people in the world that have firm persuasions and convictions about everything? People, you know, there's you know, uh, people who are uh, adhere to different uh, religions, uh, Muslims, man, they got faith. They got. Do they have some firm persuasions? They strapping bombs on themselves and blowing up people and saying that's God's will. They crawl on it. They, you know, uh, don't know if you heard this story, but you know, uh, over in uh, the Middle East, over in Israel, and some Israeli settlements, there were some Palestinian uh, uh, terrorists came in. They were Muslim. They came into this family's home. And murdered the mom, the dad, and three or four children. One survived. One was just an infant. Stabbed it in its heart and killed it. Killed it, slaughtered them like animals. But they were doing that in the name of their God. They had faith. They've got a firm, I would say they had a firm persuasion and a conviction that that was their God's will today. You've you got some people who got some pretty firm persuasions and some strong convictions that will do that. But Jesus said here, have faith in God. Now, understand. we understand this, and I'm not trying to be too simplistic, but I want us to, to understand this, is that God, you know, it's real easy for people to say, oh, I believe in God, I believe in God. I, I remember years ago uh, when I was a kid growing up, you know, when I was, still, when I was in high school, and I remember my mom have, you know, uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey on in the afternoon when I get home from school. And, they'd have, and they didn't have a problem talking about God. Oh, Oprah would talk about God all day long. Then some woman in the audience stood up and said something about Jesus Christ. Oh, and she didn't want to talk about Jesus. Because you understand, God is just the, the title. And in the Bible, when we see the word God, we understand it's talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We understand it's talking about God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Jehovah. Jehovah God. In Hebrew, in, in Hebrew, his name is Yahweh. Okay? So we understand that. But Jesus tells us to have faith, to have firm persuasions, and to have convictions. And he tells you who to have those firm beliefs, that firm persuasion, and that conviction of. And that is God, his Father, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God, uh, the God of, the, of the Bible. Amen? So Jesus says, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Okay? Not that we have faith in God. Have, you understand this? Having faith in God is having faith in His Word. That's the only thing... The, the only thing that we have to base faith on in God in is initially is his word now I say initially because as we become you understand as you as you walk in this in, in your relationship with God your faith comes from his word but then your faith can be fed on the act, uh, on your experience of God's faithfulness. You may have heard me say this before. Faith eats lions and bears. Well, you feed faith, lions and bears. Some of you go, 
What do you mean, Pastor Brian? Faith eats lions and bears. Remember when David went out to fight Goliath? And here he is, he's this little, you know, this teenage boy out there, this scrawny looking little teenage boy going out there, and he's like, who, and he hears Goliath challenging the armies of Israel, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he's down there, that he would defy the armies of God Most High? And, uh, and David says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to shut his mouth. And King Saul, you know, because King Saul and all the rest of the men of Israel just cowered, yeah, they're cowering back and they're hiding because they're scared of Goliath. And David says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to whoop him. And Saul's like, oh, you know, how are you going to do it? You're just a boy. And he's been a man of, of war since he was a boy. And David said, uh, one day while I was keeping my father's sheep, he said, a bear came out and a lion came out and, uh, at different times and tried to steal one of the sheep. He said, and I slew the lion and I slew the bear. God, in other words, God gave him the strength to kill the lion and to kill the bear. And then David said, and the, he said, and just like that lion and that bear, he said, God will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. I'll kill him just like I killed that lion and the bear. So you understand, David, his faith to kill Goliath was based in God's Word, but that faith was fed by past acts of God's faithfulness. But all, but what we start out with initially is, is God's Word. Having, to, so to have faith in God, to have firm persuasions and convictions in God, it all starts with His Word. And um, so, uh, also we uh, took a look uh, last week at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Does everyone, do we have that, does, anyone, does everyone have your hand out? Amen, we've got the handouts over there. Um, Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, and remember, let's, let's keep our minds clear of what we're talking about because sometimes we don't want to fall over into... When we are learning about something, it is very important that we have a clear understanding of what we're, what we're learning about, right? We want to, ha- we want to have a, a clear understanding of the terms that we're talking about, right? So, so without faith... Without firm persuasions or convictions, it is impossible to please Him, speaking of God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Amen? And uh, last week, we're just going to do a quick review. Last week we talked about what faith is. We saw that faith is literally a strong persuasion or a conviction. Um, We said that faith is so strong that it governs what you think, say, or do. And, and we brought out, that remember, this, a conviction. Um, there's lots of people in the world who say, I believe in stuff. How many of y'all remember the, the uh, Columbine shooting that took place, what, uh, 1999, right? I think it was spring, eight, like around April 1999. I remember it was the first year at Ramah, spring of my first year at Ramah. And uh, the little girl that these two demon-inspired, demon-possessed, demon there's, there's no question about the two boys were demon-possessed. No question in my mind whatsoever. And uh, I can't remember the young girl's name, Cassie Brunel. And she's outside school, and one of the guys walks right up to her and sticks a gun in her face and says, ask her, do you believe in God or do you believe in Jesus? And she said yes, and they shot her point-blank range and killed her. Now that girl had a conviction because I'm going to tell you what, how many people would have said, man, if I say no, maybe they'll let me live. And then I can ask God to forgive me for, for saying I didn't believe in Him. And some people might even say, man, she, what, she could have done that. She could have just went ahead and said, no, I don't believe in that junk. Then get out of here and, and spared her life. And then, she, then she could have prayed and God would have forgiven her for doing that. The girl had a conviction and that's, the di- and, and that's why I want us to make sure is that when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about you just got knowledge of something. That's the, big, that's the biggest thing that's plaguing the church, that's keeping the church of America uh, in general from operating in biblical faith is because we think because we know stuff, that's faith. And knowing something's not faith. Just because you have an accumulation... Now, this is the thing. Faith can come as a result of a, an accumulation of knowledge. We've said this before, that, that faith and ignorance are impossible roommates. If you're going to have firm persuasions and you're going to have convictions about God's Word, then you have to know the Word, obviously, right? But just knowledge of the Word itself 
is not faith. It's, it's, you might say it's a precursor to it, but if it doesn't ever go beyond that, it's not faith. Just having this accumulation of knowledge, just saying you know something, but it's when you hear that and you accept it as truth and it becomes a conviction to the point where you can stick a gun in my face and tell and and I and me know you are going to kill me if I don't recant and I will not budge off of it. It's a conviction when uh, you have a job and your boss wants you to lie to to cover something he's done or something, you know, uh, something that he's done that uh, he could get in trouble with maybe you know finances or something like that. And your boss says, you're going to lie and you're going to tell, if anybody comes around asking you about this, you're going to tell them this. And you go, I can't do that. That's not the truth. And he's like, you'll do it or you'll be finding another job. And then you just go, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And you go, and you go find another job if you get fired. Because remember, we, we talked about, it's a conviction. You have such a, or here it is, you're on the job, you know, you're after, after work, the boss says, ah, come on, you know, me and a bunch of the boys are going to go down to the Chili's and get something to eat, come with us. Or your lady. Ah, come on, me and a bunch of the girls are going down to Chili's to get something to eat after, after the store closes. And you close and go down to Chili's and they're ordering margaritas. It's happy hour. Woo! Two for the price of one margaritas. Ah, oh, come on, have a margarita. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Well, you know, if you don't, and you're sitting there and you know, well, if I don't, man, I'm going to be out to click. And it could cost me promotions. It could cost me unpopularity. And guess what? You go, I ain't doing it. Sorry. I ain't meeting here. I remember when I, when I worked for uh, Pepsi, man, back in 1994, 1994 uh, they sent me out to uh, a, a plant out in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, which was right, it was a section, McKees Rocks was a, a section of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They sent me there for training for equipment, and a bunch of guys after, uh, you know, the, the, even, even the boss, um, you know, uh, the plant supervisor, the production supervisor was there, bunch of people they said, hey, we're going to go over here and we're going to uh, meet over in such and such restaurant here at the hotel. And they all knew I was, I was in ministry then. I was a bivocational minister then. And uh, they all met in the bar. It was a restaurant, but it was, I mean, it's a bar. Now, I'm not saying you can't go into a, a Chili's that's got a restaurant and the bars over there. But this was, this was just a bar. This was just a bar that happened to serve food. It was not a bar and grill. And uh, they all went in, and I, and I walked to the door, and immediately when I walked in, I'm like, okay, this isn't a restaurant. This is just a bar. And I said, I said guys, I said, I'm going to pass on this. Oh, come on, Aggins, don't be a stick in the mud. No, no, I'm not, I'm not coming in. Oh, well, come on, preacher, you don't got to drink nothing. I said, no, no, no. I said, no, I said, the Bible says to abstain from the very appearance of evil. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to come in here. I'm not going to be a part of this. You know? Why? Because I had a conviction, and so we, it's important that we that we have convictions. Um, we also mentioned you can recognize uh, you can recognize to a measure what a person believes if you observe them long enough. We'll talk about that some more soon. You can recognize faith if you got to have something. If God tells you to have something, you've got to be able to recognize it, right? Um, we we covered this. Uh, I think we closed actually with this talking about uh, that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things, hoped for the evidence of things not seen. We want to emphasize this to you because you understand, this, this, is, this is foundational stuff. You get this right and it'll help, it will help you to have proper understanding stuff. You understand, if you, if you can't figure out 1 plus 1 equals 2, you're never going to get algebra, right? So we're talking 1 plus 1 stuff. It says, faith is, the word substance literally means a setting under support or a foundation. A foundation is intended to be something solid and immovable, therefore it lends strength and stability to the structure that's built on it. Um, and we said the structure can never be stronger than the foundation that it's built upon. Amen? And uh, we did, I believe we made reference to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, Jesus saying, I show you, you know, a wise man is the one who hears my word and does it. That sounds a lot like faith, don't it? You hear it and you do it. And he said, the foolish man built his house on the sand. Amen. Well, this evening I, I want to, uh, we're going to pick this back up. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter one. Hallelujah. Second Timothy chapter one. I love reading First and Second Timothy. 
If you feel called, you know, everybody, obviously, it's the Word of God, you can, uh, you can benefit from it. But if you, if you feel like that you may have a call to ministry, this is the thing I like to do. I, I'm in ministry. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a young pastor, right? Amen. Praise God. Everybody say, yes, pastor, you're still young. Amen. For another couple months anyway, right? Then, no. Amen. But Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking through uh, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and Timothy is a young pastor. And so this is a mentor, a spiritual mentor, the Holy Spirit speaking through his spiritual mentor, speaking to Timothy, who is a young minister, giving him advice, practical advice on how you behave yourself in ministry and stuff like that. So in uh, 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1, verse, starting with verse 3, it says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Now we'll take a look there at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Amen. Is anybody using the King James Version this evening? You got, you got the New King James that says genuine. The King James Version of the Bible says, when I call to remembrance um, the unfeigned faith. You can go ahead and write that word down if you want to. Um, unfeigned. Now, I, I actually like that translation in this verse better. When I call to remembrance uh, your unfeigned faith. Because there's a, to me, and maybe you'll see it, maybe it's just me, maybe as we begin to look at this, you'll see there's a difference to me between something that's genuine and something that's unfeigned. Now, real quickly, I'll, I'll give you a little definition here. Um, if something is feigned, the word feigned, uh, you know, unfeigned, Literally means undissembled. Now, some of you might go, "What's undissembled mean?" Have you ever heard the word dissimulation? The Bible talks about dissimulation is a word that's in the Bible. Okay, if you haven't heard that, it's good. Just remember, when I when I call to remembrance your unfeigned faith or your undissimulated faith. Okay, so what does it mean? We understand un means the opposite of right. What does dissembled mean? Uh, dissembled means to give a false or misleading appearance. To, uh, to conceal the truth or the real nature of. To put on the appearance of. I'll give that to you again. If something is dissembled, that's D-I-S-S-E-M-B-L-E-D. If something is dissembled, it means to give a false or misleading appearance to. Conceal the truth or the real nature of. To put on the appearance of. To feign. Now you say, what do you think the difference is, Pastor Brian? Well, to me, if I say something's genuine, I'm just, assume, I'm just letting you know, man, this is the real deal. But if I say something is unfeigned, to me, that gives emphasis that this is unfeigned, but be aware of the fact that there is something that is feigned. Okay? If I just say it's genuine, I feel like I'm just affirming, yeah, this is genuine. If I say... You've got unfeigned faith. I'm t letting you know, look, this is real, but be aware, there's something that tries to pass itself off as faith. Because we're talking about faith. There's something, you, Paul, Paul says, Timothy, I thank God you've got unfeigned faith, but you know what? There's something, be aware of the fact, and, and Paul saying, look, I've been, this is, you understand, this is the Apostle Paul. He's been around the block. He's had people stab him in the back. He's had people badmouth him. He's had people come in. You know, Paul said, I think in 2 Corinthians, he was writing, he was talking about some of the things he'd went through for, uh, for the, while he was in ministry. He said, you know, there were people who came in that were false brothers. They, they were false brethren. They just came in to spy out our liberty. They were trying to just scope us out and see what we had going on in Christ. And then they went back out. He had people that served with him in ministry that when he was arrested and taken to jail, man, they turned their back on him. They split. There's some people, man, that, you know, they went so far with him in ministry and then they just turned their back on him and, you know, and stabbed him in the back. 
So this is, this is Paul who's saying, man, I've, I've seen some feigned faith. I've seen some faith that, remember that definition is, he said, I've seen some faith that gave, had a misleading appearance that was intended to conceal the, the true, uh, true or real nature of what it was, of what the person was. And so, my point here with this is, Paul is commending Timothy for his genuine faith. And so, if the distinction is made genuine faith, then obviously there is non-genuine. There's, there's imitation faith. And so, we have to be able to realize this. Turn, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 real quick. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. This is in that passage of Scripture in Ephesians where Paul is talking about the spiritual armor. Amen. Most of all of you have heard that. You've read that before. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Okay? And if we get on there, verse 16 says, Above all. Everyone say, above all. If you've, and if you've not highlighted that already in your Bible or underline above all, that, that means giving it highest priority. You give this the highest priority. Paul's talking about the Christian, the Christian army. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. So, you, we are to give the highest priority to taking the shield of faith. Now, how many of y'all know if, if, if there was a, a bunch of things laying out, um, how many of you know if you were working in a garage and unless you were a very skilled mechanic and you say you went into an ASC certified mechanics garage to work and this guy had guy or gal amen had every tool you could ever possibly imagine every hand tool you could ever possibly imagine stuff you ain't never I mean it's past your pay grade <laughs> stuff that's past your pay grade you don't you ain't even seen you know, you don't even know what it is and this mechanic said go over my toolbox and get Get me some muffler bearings. We <laughs> think no such thing as muffler bearings, is it? Hey Amen. I knew a guy that pulled a trick on a woman one time and said, you know, you need to get your muffler bearings replaced or something like that. But the, but the mechanic named a real tool that is something you, as you as a shade tree mechanic, you know, little Joe, you know, change my oil every once in a while, change my spark plugs every once in a while. But, dude, you talking... Because, you know, these guys, I, I knew a guy one time was ASC certified mechanic, and he had, man, the guy had tens of thousands of dollars worth of hand tools. So you're talking some expensive tools. But this, but say you don't know much about, and you, they say, go over and get me such and such tool. Well, how many of you, you go over and you pull the, the drawer open. Whoa. One drawer, dozens of different wrenches, tools, all kinds of different stuff. And you have no idea what you're looking for. What are you left to do in that circumstance? You know, maybe, maybe trial and error first. You might pick something up. Might, you might see something that you think looks, sounds like what's it. Is this it? No. Is this it? No, no, it's not that. It's this. It looks like, the, wait a minute. Is this it? No, no, no. It looks like that, but trial and error, right? How many of y'all know if we cannot afford as believers to go through trial and error to find out what faith is? If Jesus Christ has told us to take the shield of faith, if the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul says, man, above all, man, you, you have absolutely got to get this. If you don't get this, you're going to get cut to shreds by the enemy. If you can't get this, because we read this Hebrews 11:6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Because you can do everything else. Because G, the Lord Jesus said there's going to be people stand before Him on the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in Your name? Didn't we prophesy in Your name? And what's he going to say? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Wow. That's sobering. Because some people think just because they can do something that looks like a gift of the Spirit and manifestation, that, they, that, they, that Jesus is their Lord, then that ain't the case. So... We got to be, we have to, if, if Jesus has commanded, if the Holy Spirit has commanded us, take the shield of faith, then he wants us to be able to recognize it. Turn, turn to, uh, turn to Luke chapter five. Amen. You, some of you don't, don't be intimidated. Don't think, oh my Lord, how am I ever going to do that? This is serious. This is serious. 
But you need to understand, do you know that everything God tells us to do, He's equipped you to do it? Amen? God's not, you know, the task, the ta- God ain't the taskmaster master that says, keep making, make me a tally of bricks and go get your own, go get your own straw. Uh, that was Pharaoh. You keep making bricks and go get your own straw. God, God says, you know, I'll give you what you need to do the job. I'm, I'm telling you what I want you to do. I'm going to give you, if you need, if you lack ability, I'm going to give you the ability. If you lack in material, I'm going to give you the material. God says, any, any assignment that the king gives you, amen, I like this, Nehemiah, when the, in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem, when Israel was in captivity, and he went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city and to put the gates back up and, and, and to secure Jerusalem, uh, King Xerxes gave him letters of, of royal authority that he could go get timber out of the king's forest. And any of the resources that he needed, it was his. Why? Because he was on an assignment from the king. Amen? How many of you all know if we get an assignment from the king... He's going to give you everything that's needed. And so if we, so if we have a, a command from the king that we are to take the shield of faith, we are to just imagine in your mind reaching down, grasping the shield, and picking it up. We have to be able to recognize it. And we have to be able to distinguish between what is genuine faith and what is this imposter-looking faith that, that sounds, like, sounds like faith. It, it sounds like faith. Looks like faith, you know, but it's not. Uh, Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 17. Um, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to the man, Your sins are forgiven you. Notice that in verse 20 says, When he saw their faith, Jesus observed their faith. And I believe I shared this last time that that Paul, there's a passage in Acts when Paul was preaching. And while he was preaching, he saw a crippled man. And it says that when Paul perceived that he had faith. So the point that I'm trying to say to you is, is that don't think, first of all, we need to realize that there is something out there that people... uh, will mistakenly identify as faith and they think that they're in faith and they take just and like I said the most com- the most common I'm convinced the most common thing is is that people think just because they've heard something that and, and they have a knowledge of what the bible says that it's faith and it's not it's not necessarily faith at all they think that they just because they can quote it that they got faith in it but that's not necessarily so but Jesus saw their faith. And so, know this, it's critical that we are able to distinguish between what's real faith, what's not. Because this is the thing, you know, what's been, what's been called the faith movement, which to me it's ridiculous, it's, it's the Bible movement. Why are you going to call it the faith movement? It's the Bible. All it is is we're, we're getting a fresh revelation of what it means to walk in faith, really. But the, what's, what is known is the faith movement in America has really got such a, a bum rap. There's a couple things. See, I can talk about it. It's, it's like hillbillies. I can talk about hillbillies and make fun of them. Because I'm a hillbilly. Right? Me and, me and Pastor Cheyenne, I, I used to, I'll crack hillbilly joke every once in a while because I'm from West Virginia. You know? And, uh, and then she tried to crack one one day and she was laughing. She thought it was funny. She cracked a little joke about hillbillies. And I just looked at her and I wasn't even smiling. She goes, oh, what's wrong? I said, don't be talking about my people that way. Y'all know what I mean? You can talk about, it's like your family, you can talk about your own family, but somebody else talk about it, it's like, come on, man, we're getting ready to tie up. You talk, don't talk about my people that way. I, well, you were saying the same thing last week. Yeah, but they're my family. You don't talk about them. But, uh, you know, in what's called, you know, faith circles or word, or, or you know, word of faith uh, or faith circles, some of the things that's really caused it to get a bum rap is some people. Now, I'm going to tell you, everything that's called word of faith wasn't taught at Ramah. Brother Kenneth E. Hagin did not believe everything that gets stuck with the label Word of Faith or, or Faith Movement. 
uh, one of the biggest th- one of the things I see is people just saying, "Well, you know, if you just uh, you know believe you know you ask for anything." Well, you understand that when the Bible says anything, you have to put stuff in its context, right? You have to understand that it's anything according to the Father's will, right? That's what it says in the book of John. So if you ask, if we know if we ask anything according to His will, well, His will is in His Word, so it has to be anything within the context of His Word, right? But uh, is, the, is people, too, come into uh, hearing great teaching on faith and have faith in God's Word and believe God's Word and... Sometimes it's just people don't have patience because the Bible says through faith and patience we obtain the promises of God. But then a lot of times people will come in and they try faith. How many of you know you don't try faith? You live by faith. It's the currency of the kingdom. It's the only lifestyle we're called to. We're called to live by faith. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. That is how we live as believers. But people will come in and they'll be, maybe they're not taught that well, because that that can be the case a lot of times. Maybe they're not taught that well, or maybe they're not listening to what's being taught, or maybe they've got selective hearing and they're only hearing the stuff that, that, that there's a term called confirmation bias, that when you read something or hear something, you've already got a preconceived uh, notion of what you think it is, and so when you listen to it subconsciously, you filter out anything that contradicts what you already believe and you only allow yourself to hear the things that confirm what you already believe. So you get these people that come in and either they're not being taught good, they're not being taught the word well, they're not being taught faith well, or they uh, they're not or they're in unbelief really, or they've got this uh, preconception that keeps them from being able to hear anything and they're only going to hear what they hear. So that when they hear it, they come in, they go, "Oh, I'm in faith. I'm in faith. I'm in faith." And um and then, and then after a while, things don't happen in their life the way they want to. They're not getting what the Word says they can get. And you understand this, I'm not ta- you, you cannot, you can't come to that conclusion in weeks or months. Right? If we're talking, it's over a lifetime. When, how did Abraham obtain his promises? The promise of a son, 25 years. So don't think, you know, if you're, Making a, if you're standing on God's Word and you don't get it in a week or two weeks or even a month or two months or six months or whatever, well, I just must not be in faith or this faith stuff don't work. Okay? But people have, have come in and they've heard the faith message taught of how to operate in faith in God's Word and either they give up too quickly or... They never were really in faith at all because it, I've said, like I said, I said this: just the ability to spout off the verses. Just because you got a bookshelf full of note, notebooks of notes that you've taken from sermons for the past twenty years, and you can quote the word backwards and forwards, guess what? I know somebody else can quote the word backwards and forward, and he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Right? If just having knowledge of the word was faith, guess what? Devil would have great faith. Amen? But the devil doesn't have great faith, right? Because we said this, the, the, the thing that is the, is the defining element of what takes you from, from knowledge to faith is do you do it? Is does it control how you think, how you speak? Because you understand this, you, your mind, you can be thinking all kinds of stuff and you can be thinking stuff that is just absolutely contrary to the Word of God and when you're in a group of peers that you know you feel pressured to be spiritually correct I don't want to say anything that's not you you, you heard of political correctness that people we get into our little uh, church uh, spheres of believers and we want to be spiritually correct and so we don't ever say anything we know how to talk the lingo but in our mind you know, when you're going home and when you're by yourself that's a bunch of junk this ain't working or it only goes as far as talk. Because this is the thing. How many of you know? Okay? Jimmy and Nikki, they've not been born again and actively living for the Lord for a real long time, right? You, y'all are still young. So, but the youngest people, the youngest people in the congregation as far as their walk with the Lord, let's just say this and don't say, just, just nod your head if this is the case. Let's take a look at love. Okay? 
Everybody that's, had, that's got any sense whatsoever, been in church longer than six months, know, man, this love thing, yeah, we're supposed to be love. We're supposed to be people love. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love our brother. We're supposed to love God, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Love, 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 love. I'm all about love. Hey, I love you, man. I love you. I love you, right? Because we know we're supposed to be people of love. Okay? Oh, I, I got, you know, my faith tells me I got to love somebody. But then guess what? Have you seen people who would all day long stand up and say, I got to love people. I got love. I'm walking in love. Man, I just love, I just love people. Well, you know, I really, I, I'm always going to love that person. But they do stuff to the person's harm. They do stuff because you understand this. Love works no ill to its neighbor. Love does not do anything that is to cause harm or to hurt someone, right? And so, but this person deliberately, willfully goes and does stuff that call, inflicts harm on someone else, right? Well, now that's not love, is it? But man, they can sing, they can quote you all the love. Man, they can go First Corinthians chapter 13 on you, man. I, man, I tell you, love doesn't do this, love doesn't do that, love, love, love. I'm a love machine, baby. And they can talk it. Let me ask you something. Does that person actually have any biblical faith about love? Not at all. Oh, now, pastor, you being judgmental. No, I'm not. I'm telling you the word. And when it gets laid down plain like that, people just can't, people can't take it. And this is the thing. No, scratch my ears for me, Pastor. But if, it's, but if you really have biblical faith in love and you really understand love means I'm not going to do anything that's to your harm. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to do anything that is to your harm. I'm not going to do anything that deliberately bring, that brings pain to you. Okay? Well, then that's when you know you have faith, uh, when you have faith in love. Here's another one, man. You know, people saying, "Man, I just believe you. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God." And then, you know, Bill comes in. They didn't see. Well, I'm not going to tithe right now. Now, if you've done that, don't think Pastor's talking bad about you, okay? Because I've been there before, and I had to sell out. Not since not since Cheyenne's known me, but uh, you got. You, I mean, you sell out. And I'm not talking about you stumble once, okay? Don't anybody get under condemnation. I'm not talking about you stumble once. I'm talking about it's like every time something comes up or you see something that you want and you say, you know what? If I just held on to my tithe, if I held on my tithe for one month, I'd have enough money to buy that. And I'll make it up. God knows my heart. Yeah, God does know your heart. Because <laughs> the issues of life are flowing out of it. One of the issues of life is when it's not convenient to you to pay your tithe, you don't do it. So does the person have faith? Do they, according to what the Bible says is faith, do they have faith that it's right to tithe and give to God and, and, and to sow to God and, and believing that God's going to uh, bless them and prosper them? No. And I'm not being judgmental. We're just saying, we're saying you have to understand this is that if there's a definition of something that says this is the criteria to be this. Okay? Um, when I worked for Pepsi, they had lab technicians that when you ran the product, you had specifications that the product had to meet as far as, uh, they called it bricks, the sweetness, the CO2 content. You had all these criteria of the beverage that was going into the can that a lab technician had to come out every once every hour, once every 30 minutes or so, and pull a sample from the line and test that and if it didn't meet the criteria, then it might be in a can that says Pepsi-Cola, but it wasn't really Pepsi-Cola because it didn't meet what the specifications was for, that the company established that it had to meet to be called that and to be allowed to go to market. So all I'm saying is, is that God's Word is what sets the criteria for what is faith. And you can stick, it in, you can stick whatever little label you want to on it but if it doesn't measure up to what the, what God's word said faith really is, then you can put that you can put the faith wrapper on it all day long, but it's not really faith. Okay. Uh, so in, on your handout there, Paul commends Timothy for his, and you can put genuine or unfeigned, or you can try to spell unfeigned. Uh, the second thing on your handout, I want to go ahead and make sure we get those filled out for you, is uh, dissembled means to give 
a false or misleading appearance to conceal the truth or real nature of. Okay? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're talking about identifying faith. We want to take a look what is, you know, what is its source. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith, firm persuasions or convictions about God, let's call it that, right? Faith, firm, persu- firm persuasions or convictions about God comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That third point on your handout. The only legitimate source for faith is the Word of God, is the Bible. And so some of us, you might be going, well, duh, Pastor Brian, you know, of course the Bible is the only legitimate uh, source of faith, but you realize there's lots of things out there. Um, you wouldn't have to look too far in very many churches, maybe some of us, even in our own life. Because let's just be real honest. We've all got beliefs of, uh, about God, about the way things are, about the way God does things, that maybe we haven't been taught real good about it yet. We've not had that belief challenged. And uh, so we all got to, to do this self-examination. Why, always ask yourself this. When it comes to things of what you believe about God, and you realize you have a belief, ask yourself, why do I believe that? And if and when you ask yourself that, say, what scriptures do I have that I base that belief on? And I'll tell you this, if you can't find at, at a minimum, the Bible says let every word be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. If you can't find at least two, and I would say a minimum of three places in the Bible, in the Bible if you can't find at least two or three scriptures in their context that, are the are what you base your belief on, then I would tell you this, you don't need to hold on to that belief very tightly. As a matter of fact, if you can't find anything, because you understand this, you might have some things that you heard when you was a kid from somebody that actually is based on the Scripture, and you at your developmental stage as a believer, you've maybe never come across that in the in the reading of the Word yourself. And so it may be a truth, uh, but you've just... But you couldn't right offhand tell the scriptures that you believe it on. Now I'll encourage, like I said, you can't hold, you can't be dogmatic about that. Anything that you cannot point out in scripture, this way, why? Because the word of God is the only legitimate source. You understand this? Your grandmama can come up with all kinds of spiritual sounding ideas, but guess what? Grandmama, she can be sincere, but grandmama can be sincerely wrong. Um. You know, we had a baptism Sunday. Jimmy and Nikki, we baptized me and Pastor Earl, we baptized Jimmy and Nikki. We took them over to the YMCA. We baptized them in the pool. Okay? I remember when I was a kid growing up, uh, the little church I grew up in, we went out to this uh, guy that went to the church. He, he owned uh, some property. He had a lake on it. We got his lake and baptized. And we were baptizing one day, and there was this guy, and his name was Paul. And uh, he was standing on the bank, and we were getting ready to baptize. And he was standing on the bank, and he was grumbling to somebody. He was grumbling to some folks around him. Hey, the Bible says you got to baptize in running water. And my mom turned around and said, um, I've never read that. Where's that at? First or second Paul? And then you understand there's no book in the Bible, Paul, right? And his name was Paul. I've never read that. Where's that? Is that first or second Paul? Well, how many of you know the Bible does not say that a person has to be baptized in running water? And so you can't be dogmatic about that. You can't say that, but now understand this, and we've taught this before about baptism. We've talked about this. That word baptism, it does mean to completely immerse in the fluid. So, and we know this, and, and you know, we're not called to argue with people. We're called, you know, and it doesn't mean that people aren't saved. But we know there are some denominations, they just sprinkle people, and they call that baptism. You can say, based on the Word of God, that is not the scriptural prescription for baptism. So you see what I'm saying is, is that the, the thing, like baptism, you can say emphatically, no, the word baptism itself means to be completely submerged. 
But you could say, yeah, there's examples of John the Baptist baptizing in water. And it was a river, right? It was the Jordan River. But you cannot, based on that, but there's other examples of people being baptized in the Word. It just says, here's water. Or they were baptized. It doesn't say it was a river. It doesn't say it was a lake. It doesn't say what it was. And so you can't be uh, dogmatic about it because there's, because there's no Scriptures based on that. You, you understand this? Grandma can have all kinds of stuff. Your grand, what grandmama's sayings is not something you can have build your biblical faith on. You know, what your, what your uh, cousin that's a preacher says is, you know, unless he's got the Bible for it in context. That's not anything you, you cannot build your faith on anything except God's Word. Amen. The Bible is the only uh, legitimate source for a person's faith, according to Romans 10, 17. I want you to take a look at this too. Turn to second, back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because this is something I feel like that we need to, to be sure and point out to you. Because remember, if we, if we started looking at this, um, saying you need to recognize, be able to, to distinguish between genuine faith and, and fake faith or feigned faith, we need to be able to recognize faith, okay? We're, we're realizing that faith is a firm persuasion or a conviction that's based on God's Word, right? Because we're putting this together, remember? Just stay with me, we're putting this together. Jesus said, have faith in God. Remember back in Mark eleven twenty two and 23? Uh, Jesus said, have faith in God. So we're putting together this working definition so you have a working understanding. Jesus said, have faith. Have a firm persuasion and a conviction in God that is based on His Word because faith in God comes from hearing and hearing by God's Word. Are you following me? So that's what it comes from. But 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see that? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, this is another one of those things. Think, man. I want you to think. You, you, know, you, you say, Pastor, I'm not the sharpest knife in the world, but you can think. And you can speak to your mind and you can say, mind, you be sharp. Mind, you be quick. You, uh, you, I have the mind of Christ. I have understanding. The Holy Spirit's my teacher. And I understand things. But you need to think. If the Bible said, if Paul told Timothy, he said, study to show yourself to be approved. A workman that need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And that literally means to make a straight cut or to dissect. If you, write, if you are dividing the word, that word that says dividing, it literally means dissecting. To cut straight or to dissect. He says, study to show yourself to be approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I believe the New American Standard says rightly handling the word of truth. What's the implication there? If you're, if you're encouraged to rightly handle the word of truth, then obviously you can wrongly divide the word of truth, right? Right? So, and I'll say this, context, context, context. Okay? We won't go into it in real depth. If some of you have questions, I'll tell you. Uh, but you understand that when you're reading the Bible and you're going to interpret the Bible, I love it, brother. Uh, Jimmy was sharing with me uh, you know, a couple months ago about some guy at work said, well, you know, you can't, you can't take the Bible, literally. How about dear God? And then he told me he was a... Sunday school teacher for a denominational church says, oh, Lord, don't listen to a thing he says because he thinks he knows something. Guy been a Sunday school teacher for 25 years, and I'll bet you if you ask him, he ain't never read the Bible through once in his life, the entire Bible through once in his life, but he's going to tell you something. But you understand um, that there are parts of the Bible. It's not that simple. There are parts of the Bible that are figurative. And that you don't take literally, it's, it's, it is figurative and it's symbolic speech. And there are parts of the Bible that are absolutely just as literal as everything. And so, if it was all one and all the other, if everything in the Bible was figuratively speaking, then you wouldn't have to divide it, would you? If everything in the Bible was literal, you wouldn't have to divide it, would you? So that tells me that the Bible, there are certain things in the Bible that are figurative speech, and that, and, that are, and that are allegory, 
And there are some things in the Bible that are, yes, sir, they are very quite literal. And so Paul's telling Timothy, you've got to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, I'll give this to you real quick. Context is big. When you see something in the Bible, you've got to keep, interpret it first. There, there's these concentric levels of interpretation. You go, you go in layers. Okay, and I'm not, I, I'm not trying to use a big word to confuse anyone. You start out with the, with the littlest thing. You look, if you see something, you look at, if you see a phrase, okay, rightly divide. What's rightly divide mean? Well, let's look at the verse. Study to show yourself to be approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, so that rightly dividing has something to do with studying and studying the word. Okay, so you see you've taken that phrase, rightly dividing, and you've looked at it in the context of the verse. Okay, the next layer you would go out to study the Bible would be, okay, that chapter in that book. What's that, what is that entire chapter? If I go and I read that entire chapter, what is the context of that chapter? From there, you would look at what is that whole book talking about? What is the general theme of the whole book? And we know Second Timothy is Paul writing a letter to a young minister, giving him, a practical, giving him practical spiritual advice about how to be a, a good minister of the gospel, right? So you see the context of the whole book. The next thing you do, you'd go out to the, the whole context of the New Testament. If you still got questions, you say, okay, how does that fit in the whole context of the New Testament? And then ultimately, the, the biggest, the furthest out you go is, how is that, how does that fit in the context of the entire Bible? If you, st- if you go, pa- if, if any one layer that you go to doesn't give you an adequate answer, you have to know the whole thing. So this is the thing. You have to know how to rightly divide the Word. And that's why I say it is the most important thing that we as believers will study. There is nothing else, uh, there is not a college degree on the face of the planet that is as significant and as important as knowledge of God's Word. Amen? So we're encouraged to, to, to uh, rightly divide. That number four says the Word must be rightly divided. Okay? Number five says, and this is going back to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to uh, wrap this up uh, quick and, and ask you some questions, get, let you all have an opportunity to answer some questions, give some feedback. Um, Ephesians uh, 6.16 tells us to take the shield of faith to protect us from that blank there is the fiery darts of the enemy. Okay, failure to take the shield of faith. Now, I'm going to pause here. I want to make sure, if, if you haven't written this down in your notes, try to follow me and write this down because this is really what the whole The whole thing I'm saying in this teaching is have faith in God, have faith, parentheses, firm persuasions or convictions in God based on His Word rightly divided. I'm going to say that again. Have faith. Faith, firm persuasions and convictions in God, in His Word that come by His by by His Word that is rightly divided. So, failure to take the shield of faith and that definition of faith. Failure to take the shield of faith or taking something... Because remember we talked about genuine faith uh, and feigned faith. Failure to take the shield of faith or picking up something that looks like faith but really isn't. How many of you all know if, if you got in a real... Have you, how many of you ever went, went to Walmart and went to the toy section and seen little toy shields? Okay, you got a little toy shield there. Man, you know, at first glance, I mean, if you didn't know, let, let's put it this way. How about in Hollywood? You're, we're talking a major Hollywood production, and they've got props for a movie, and they make a fake shield. Man, you look at it, it looks real. You know, it looks like a real shield. 
but maybe it's made out of paper mache, maybe it's made out of plastic, and it's just all painted up to make it look like it's bronze or something like that. But, man, it looks like it. You see it in the movies, it convinces you, man, when them Spartans run out across the field and they're fighting the Greeks, man, it looks like a real shield. But you pick that thing up and you go into a real battle with it. And someone with a real sword comes and takes a swing at you and you stick your little plastic Hollywood shield up for defense, what's going to happen? You're going to get cut to shreds. But man, you had something look just like a look just like a shield. Man, you look at people and swear, man, that's a shield. I don't know what happened. What happened is a shield. What happened was it was a fake shield. It was something that was it was it was made to look like it. And so we fall into the danger. And what we're saying is, Paul saw saw Timothy, and he knew Timothy had real faith. Because, and remember, this goes back to what I said in the last lesson. You can tell people's faith by observation. You observe somebody long enough. You observe their actions long enough. Okay? You, it, it's easy for men to go to a men's conference and say, Woo, man, I, you know, I love my wife. I'm faithful to my wife. And every time they go on a business trip and there ain't nobody around, they go down to the strip clubs. They can talk a good game, but when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, they ain't got the faith, right? They don't have a firm persuasion or a conviction that they're living by, right? So, failure to take, failure to take the shield or taking something that imitates the shield but is not makes us vulnerable. That next blank is vulnerable to the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, this is the thing you need to understand about fiery darts. What is a fiery dart? A fiery, fiery darts, and I got this, I, I, I was meditating, I was studying this. Fiery darts, I had this before, they are thoughts and suggestions that the enemy will throw at you, but this is the thing. They're thoughts and suggestions that the enemy will throw at your mind that if they're not quenched, because the Bible says, take the shield of faith wherewith you will quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Those fiery darts are thoughts and suggestions that the enemy will bombard your mind with every day that if you don't quench them with the shield of faith, uh, they can become false beliefs. Or, remember when we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 last week, I don't know if you remember this, uh, just turn there real quick. We'll review it, or I, I won't give this to you. It, we're closing with this, the teaching with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3 says, For though if we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 3 through 4. Notice it says that the weapons of our warfare, and Paul over in Ephesians, he's talking about the whole armor of God. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself. The King James says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The fiery darts of the devil are thoughts and suggestions that he'll throw at you all day long that if you don't have the shield of faith there to quench those fiery darts, if he can hit you with them, they, those thoughts can become beliefs that can grow into strongholds that can hold you in bondage and, 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 and can cause you to think you're in faith, but because it's not based on God's Word, it's not, it's not genuine faith. It's not a foundation that you can build on. Help me, Lord. Help me explain this. The fiery darts are thoughts and suggestions that can become false beliefs that can mislead you. You've, you've, you've heard the Bible say that God heals and you knew somebody that, man, they, they quoted all the healing scriptures and they read all of Brother Hagin's books on healing and uh, they went and they had, you know, Brother Big Name blah, blah, blah lay hands on them. And man, I just know they were in faith and they still, they died and they were sick. So, you know, 
then you believe, well, you know, maybe it's just not God's will to heal everybody all the time. Well, guess what? You just let a fiery dart make it past your shield of faith, and it's hit you, that, that thought or that suggestion of, well, you know what, I know they were in faith, and they didn't get healed, so obviously sometimes it's just not God's will to heal people. And then guess what? You allow that thought to mislead you, and then you've been misled by that, and it causes you to have a false belief that you will never, ever be able to receive healing by faith, unless it was just a gift of the Spirit manifestation. You will never be able to receive a healing by your faith because the devil has successfully planted that thought or suggestion in your mind. Well, you know, Aunt, uh, Aunt Sally Sue, she, she really had faith and she died. Well, you know, we don't know everything. Because Aunt Sally Sue, she might have been born again, praise God, and, and she's a child of God. But Aunt Sally Sue, you don't know what she was, you don't, maybe don't know what she was saying when she was by herself. And maybe she was putting up feigned faith, even though she's a good person. She was misled. She put up feigned faith, and she didn't get, and she didn't get her prayer answered. She didn't get her healing. And now you've let a suggestion come in that's caused you to come up with something that is not in line with God's Word. A fault, it, it's, you have actually come on over into feigned faith. 